How are we doing so far? Are we celebrating yet? It's a little bit. Um, thank you again for being with us this morning. Um, I'm very thankful for all of our worship team folks, setup team folks, tech team folks, hospitality folks. They, they're here every week, but especially today. Just want to thank you folks for what you do, the folks in Kids City, uh, to make everything happen. Our church is thankful for you guys. Um, this Sunday is our uh, last Sunday in the Gospel of Matthew. I see, I was looking to see who was going to clap. I, was, I knew it was going to be somebody. There's other people who wanted to clap but didn't. We've been in Matthew for a year, and so that's why some folks are clapping. And that seems pretty short to me, but, you know, I know we have some lightweights here, so we try to go quickly. Just kidding, I'm sorry. Uh, but here's the thing, um, I'm really grateful that we spent our first year as a church following Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, what we've said over and over again is that um, as a church, if we don't have the words of Jesus to offer, we have no reason to exist. And, and so I, I'm actually rather um, unapologetic about spending a, an entire year just looking at Jesus and listening to Jesus and trying to learn what it means for this new church um, to follow Jesus together. Uh, so I'm actually, some of you are happy that we're done with Matthew. I'm a little sad this morning, so, you know, just be nice to me, okay? Because I've, I've gotten very uh, comfortable with Matthew and studying Matthew, and now I'm, next week I, I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be very different for me after an entire year uh, with Matthew. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. It's language that will be somewhat familiar to some of you and brand new to others of you, but I hope that uh, as we look at this together, uh, we will um, come away with a refreshed sense of who Jesus is, what Jesus accomplished, um, and what the repercussions, some of the repercussions are for our lives. Just so you know, we're not trying to be real artsy with our screen today. Uh, we just, we don't know what we're doing, really, is what it boils down to. So uh, I don't know if that's, is it going to work to put the words up there? Is it going to even, let's not even worry about putting the words up there. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 28. Why don't you go ahead and stand uh, for the reading of God's word this morning. I'm going to read this and then I will pray for us and we will begin to dig in. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. 
While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they, told the sol- they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask now that you open up our hearts, open up our minds to your scriptures. We come as we are this morning. We don't pretend that we're any different. We don't act as if there are different circumstances in our lives. We don't act as if things are better or worse than they are. We come exactly as we are this morning because you know us. You know our lives. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know our circumstances. You know our histories. So we come with no pretensions this morning to your Scripture. Instead, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take us right where we are and show us exactly what we need to see today. We don't need no uh, new information. We don't need a new experience. We simply need more of Jesus this morning. So we ask, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would show us more of Jesus the Christ today and transform us through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning from the title, Commissioned in Spite of Ourselves. Commissioned in Spite of Ourselves. And and this morning I want to tell you a few different things. First, that Jesus was really dead. And then I want to tell you that Jesus was really resurrected from the dead. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about being commissioned as God's people. I want to start with this fact that Jesus was really dead. And maybe that's an odd place to start on Easter Sunday. Isn't that what Good Friday is for after all? But I want to start this morning with the fact that on the cross, Jesus was really dead. He wasn't sort of dead. He wasn't kind of dead. He he didn't pretend to be dead. Jesus on the cross died. The Son of God died. Jesus the Messiah died and was dead. And you see, on Good Friday, when they took Jesus down from the cross, they, they took down a corpse. We're not used to thinking of Jesus as a corpse, of course, for good reason. But this is the reality, and we must start here this morning. The Son of God hung lifeless on the cross. When Joseph of Arimathea came to claim his body and they took it down, he flopped to the ground because he was a lifeless corpse on Good Friday. 
Jesus, the Son of God, the one claiming to be the Messiah of God, the sent one of God, was dead. He wasn't sort of dead, kind of dead, faking it dead. He was dead. They took the lifeless corpse, they wrapped it in burial cloths, and they placed it in a new tomb. And there lay the body of Jesus, dead. It wasn't just that Jesus was dead. It was that everything that Jesus had taught died with him. Everything that Jesus had said died then as well. Everything that Jesus had done died on Good Friday. Everything about this new kingdom that he'd been telling people about and showing people what it would be like died with Jesus on Good Friday. Jesus was really dead. The Jesus movement was not one that would continue past his death, you see. When Jesus died, his movement stopped. There wouldn't be a new religion that came out of Jesus' teachings once Jesus was dead. When Jesus died, he died, and his movement died. His teachings died as well. His death refuted everything he had said. You hear that? On the cross, when Jesus died and breathed his last, his death refuted everything that he had ever said. Everything that he had ever claimed to be true. Jesus was really dead. A Messiah who fulfills all of the law for us was dead. A Messiah who transforms us from the inside out was dead. A Messiah who announces God's justice for the marginalized, for the poor, for the oppressed, dead. A Messiah who throws open the doors to the kingdom to everyone was dead. A Messiah who liberates us from burdensome, tiresome religion, dead. A Messiah who welcomes whatever tiny amount of faith we have, dead. A Messiah who frees us from our bondage to money and to possessions was dead. A Messiah who invites you and me to the internal banqueting table of the Father was dead. And again, maybe this isn't where we want to start on Easter Sunday. But if the resurrection is to mean anything for us this morning, it's because Jesus really died. He didn't sort of die, kind of die. He didn't spiritually die, metaphorically die. He died. And with him, everything that he embodied about God's mission of redemption in the world was dead. Can we start there this morning, church? Maybe it's asking a lot on Easter morning, but can I ask you to hold that in your hand this morning, that Jesus Christ was dead. For us to see the power of the resurrection, the power of the empty tomb, we must continue to come back to the fact that our Lord and our Savior died for us. But then something rather astonishing happens, doesn't it? Mary Magdalene and and 
the other Mary. It's unfortunate that she's only known as the other Mary. That's not how any of us want to be known. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they, they show up at the tomb. Now, we, we know these two women from the passage previous. They are the only disciples who remained at the cross when everyone else fled. They saw Jesus' body taken down, the lifeless corpse, wrapped in cloths, and placed in the tomb. They were probably the only disciples who actually knew where Jesus' body was. They follow the body on Good Friday up until sundown because that's when Passover starts. And when Passover starts, they return to their homes or maybe to the homes of their family members. And they spend the day observing Sabbath, Saturday. They spend the day at home. But now it's Sunday morning and at first light, Sabbath is over. They can break the Sabbath. And so they leave their homes. They meet up, these two women, and they head for the tomb. What were they expecting to find, do you think? What what were Mary and Mary, these two disciples of Jesus, who had followed this rabbi from Galilee for two, three years now, seen him crucified, seen his body placed in the grave? What were they expecting when they showed up on Sunday morning? Can I tell you what they weren't expecting? An angel? Can we agree with, about that? They weren't expecting an angel. They weren't expecting a violent earthquake that was caused by an angel, Matthew says, who came down from heaven. They may have expected a lot of things. That wasn't one of them. This angel of heaven comes down from heaven, causing this violent earthquake, and then rolls back the stone. Jesus, really dead, is no longer there. Why does the angel come down? Why does the angel come down, cause this earthquake? Why does the angel roll back the stone? Why? Did Jesus need the angel to do this? No. If you can raise from the dead, you probably don't need someone to roll away the stone, right? If you can defeat death, I think moving a stone, you can do that too. Why does the angel come down, cause an earthquake, and roll away the stone? Why? It's for these two women. That's it. Jesus does not need the angel to show up and move the stone. Because Jesus is already gone. There's nobody in the tomb. It's not like Jesus was sitting in there like, okay, I beat death. If someone would just open this door... He was gone, right? He was gone. Why does God see fit to send one of his messengers, one of his angels, down from heaven to roll away a stone? It's for these two women. There's no other reason that I can find from this text. These women are, of course, afraid. You and I would be afraid as well. The angel answers their fear without them even saying anything. Do not be afraid. Jesus is no longer here. Now, now there's a few little details here that we need to see because Jesus was really dead, and now if Jesus is really resurrected, we need to see what this means. The angel doesn't assume that the women are going to get it right away. So look at a few different things that this angel does. In verse 5, the angel says, Jesus, who was crucified. Now, we said last week that Jesus was a common name. 
right? So just to be super clear, ladies, it's Jesus, the one who was crucified. That's who we're talking about here. In verse 6, he has risen just as he said. At least five times Matthew records Jesus telling his disciples, including most likely these women, I'm going to die, but I am going to rise again. Yeah, that same Jesus, the one who was crucified, the one that you followed around for three years, who you heard say was going to rise again, that Jesus is no longer here. He's risen. Verse 6, come and see, the angel says. I love this. Here is this angel with blinding light and glory like, let me give you a little tour around the empty tomb. Come in. Look around. He's not here. It's, It's as if the angel is proving to these women that he's really resurrected. Which I love, because you would think the angel would be enough, right? Like, angel shows up to you, tells you anything, you're going to be like, okay, yep, mm mm-hmm. Whatever you say, I would. Angel's like, "Let let me tell you who we're talking about, the one who you were with. Let's take a look around the tomb. Verse 7, tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. You're going to see him again. His disciples are going to see him. Jesus was really dead, and now the women are beginning to see that something dramatic has happened here. Jesus is no longer, it seems, dead. He's not there. But what exactly does this mean that Jesus, who was dead, who was crucified, who was on the cross, who was in the grave, is no longer dead? What does that mean? They're about to find out. The angel sends them off to go find the disciples. And while they're on their way, who do they meet? Jesus. They they meet Jesus. And I I, I imagine Matthew writing this portion of his gospel and almost feeling a little embarrassed to record it. It's almost a a humorous encounter, these women and Jesus, the way it goes down. It's it's sort of like Matthew is saying, look, the only reason I'm putting this in here is because it actually happened. Because it's not that spectacular, it's not that spiritual, it's not that glorious. It's actually a little embarrassing. Here's what I mean, here's what I mean. Jesus shows up. Jesus has, uh, he's been arrested, he's been tortured, he's been crucified, he's been dead. And now he's not dead. And what's the first thing he says? What's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? Someone have a Bible, what does he say? What does he say? Greetings. Greetings. So anticlimactic. <laughs> like, really, this, like, for us, yeah, hello. That's what that is. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Seriously. Whatever you're saying when you pass a stranger and you kind of catch that person's eye, whatever obligatory, like, greeting, that's, that's what Jesus does. This is not what you build an entire religion around, Right? Your spiritual leader should have some pearls of wisdom to share after he conquered death. Not, hey, hello. The women, of course, are startled, surprised. They fall on their knees and they, 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 they clasp his feet, Matthew tells us. Again, this is a detail. I just don't think you would just add to a story like this. This isn't this hyper-spiritual encounter. This isn't a vision of Jesus in all of his glory. This is a Jesus you can touch. 
can feel. His body has been resurrected. They recognize him. You see. And they clasp his feet, his dirty sandal-clad feet. And then the most embarrassing detail of this whole encounter is that Jesus, after he accepts their worship, he says, now you go and tell my disciples. Who are the first witnesses to the resurrected Jesus? These two women. These two women who in that day, their testimony would not have been credible in a court of law. Who, who, who Matthew only, t- Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I mean, no offense, but I don't think Matthew was like real excited about this encounter. And Jesus says, you will be my first witnesses. My resurrection story will be dependent on you telling my disciples. This is a humiliating part of the story. Now, we don't hear it in that day, thankfully, but in Matthew's day, this would be the part of the Bible, you know, like we get to certain parts of the Bible and we're like, eh, we're just going to read over that because that's just weird. We don't make any sense, you know. Come on. This is the part for them. And they get to this part of Matthew's gospel and they're like, oh, we can skip over that part. Why does Matthew include it? Jesus was really dead and he's really not dead now. And this is what he did. He showed up, hey, received their worship, and then sent them on, empowering them as his first witnesses. You see? You begin to see? Jesus was really dead. He was really, he was dead. And now the disciples are trying to get their minds around, what does it mean that he's not dead anymore? And the women, they worship him. Just as Romelia pointed out a minute ago, they worshiped him and his disciples will worship him later. Uh, Before I say something about the disciples, as we kind of stick with this theme of Jesus being resurrected again, I want to just do, like I sometimes do, kind of a footnote here, okay? So this is a footnote to my sermon. Why does Matthew talk about Jesus rising from the dead so much? Now, now, in our passage today, it doesn't seem like a lot, but there's a number of references. But throughout his gospel, Matthew records Jesus at least five times saying, I will die and I will be resurrected. Why does Matthew do this? Why is this such an important theme for him? What is he driving at throughout his gospel? The simple answer is that nobody was expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. There, there was nobody going oh, it's cool that he's dead because uh, three days he's going to be back. Nobody's thinking that. Now, now let, me, let me try to speak specifically to those of you who have uh, a, a, a really skeptical mind. And, and you know who you are. And I'm kind of like that as well. Like the idea of miracles and this whole resurrection thing is it's a little, right? Right? Nobody expected Jesus to raise from the dead. Um, not really today, but not back then either. Okay, this is the thing we need to be really honest about. We can sometimes think like, okay, we're sort of modern people with a, a, a decent amount of scientific 
understanding of ways of thinking critically about the world. And so somebody raising from the dead, and that doesn't happen. But I can understand how those naive people back in the day kind of, you know, they didn't have the stuff that we, so they, they might have believed that kind of stuff. Nobody was looking for somebody to raise from the dead. I mean, probably even less so then than now. That just didn't happen. Now, there were some uh, non-Jewish pagan mythologies that had gods rising from the dead, but these weren't gods who anybody ever saw. These weren't people. These were disembodied gods that kind of had mythologies around them that were out there somewhere, right? We have stories we tell. But nobody, nobody expected an actual person who you know, who you talk to, who you'd eaten with to die. And re- No, 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 that doesn't happen. Now, now, among some of the Jewish leaders, there was a developing theology that said there is a resurrection, but it comes at the end of time. And everybody will be resurrected at once. You see, the idea of one person being resurrected in the middle of time, there was just no language for that. No expectation for that. No theology. Do you understand what I'm saying? The idea of Jesus raising from the dead, Matthew has to communicate it so clearly over and over again because nobody had any framework for it. Doesn't happen. Are you tracking with me? This is why the disciples never got it. When Jesus said, uh, fellas, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise again. This is why the disciples never got it. Because surely this must be Jesus doing one of his weird parable things again, right? We don't understand half of those things otherwise, so we, you know this is one of those things. This is why, I believe, the religious leaders guard the tomb. Not because they actually believe that Jesus is going to resurrect. No, what do they say to Pilate? Look, Jesus has been talking about this resurrection thing, and so we think his disciples are going to probably come and take the body. They're not expecting him actually to rise again. So guard the tomb. And, of course, once Jesus actually resurrects and the soldiers, they watch this angel come down from heaven, and they go back to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and say, this is what happened. The most plausible story for them to tell is, oh, the body was stolen. This is very plausible. Why? Nobody is expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Yes, yes, yes. I know this is a really long footnote. I'm almost done. If you're like in college, sometimes you're reading books and the footnotes are longer than the eggs, so this is what we're doing right now. Let me say this super clearly. The resurrection was the only reason the early church could claim that a dead person was actually the Messiah. Let me say that again. The resurrection was the only reason that the early church could claim that a dead person was actually the Messiah. A dead Messiah was a failed Messiah. This is why we have to start with the fact that Jesus was really, really dead. A dead Messiah was a failed Messiah. And people knew about failed Messiahs. There had been other people claiming, I am the Messiah. I will liberate our people from Roman oppression. Where were they? Dead. All of them. Dead Messiah was a failed Messiah. 
And nobody ever said, you know that, you know, you know Joseph who claimed to be the Messiah? Well, he, he's alive now. No, 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 no. Now, what they might do is say, you know, Joseph's brother, you know, Joseph, the one who claimed to be the Messiah, and he's dead now. Well, his brother now is the Messiah. And we'll follow him. You see what I'm saying? Nobody, 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 nobody. The only reason that a, a, an early church would claim that the person you saw crucified, because a lot of us saw it happen, the one that we saw die, that one is actually true Messiah. The only reason that they would make that claim is if Jesus had really risen from the dead. There's no other reason. I can't tell if you are with me or not. Are you with me? Okay. Let me, let me show you one last thing here, and then our footnote is over, I think. This is what Peter does uh, in, in, in Acts, and I referenced this last week. Peter's very first sermon, Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, he's ascended back to heaven. Peter is now giving his very first sermon. And listen to what he says. Chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, listen, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So far, everybody's on the same page. Yep, we saw him die. We know what you're talking about. Crucified. Got it. Next verse. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We all saw him crucified. Now let me give you some more information. He's not dead anymore. God raised him to life. Now look at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. He was dead. We all saw it. God raised him from the dead to life. And not only that, there are a bunch of us who saw him, talked to him, ate with him, walked with him, listened to him. And then this is how Peter closes his argument, verse 36. Therefore, because of all of this, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He was crucified. God resurrected him from the dead to life, and we're witnesses to that. And therefore, because of all of this, God has made him Lord and Messiah. It's impossible. I would, I would claim, I'm going to go out on the limb here. It's impossible for us to understand the rise of the early church outside of a people who were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Because it would have all fallen apart otherwise. Because dead messiahs are failed messiahs. And their movements end. They stop. Why? Because a dead messiah was a wrong messiah. But now here comes Jesus and his followers claiming, no, he died, yes, but God rose him to life. And because God raised him to life, everything he said was true. Everything he said about the world was true. Everything he said about God's coming kingdom was true. And we are going to live that out. And the church begins to grow and spread. Do you hear me? Footnote over. So we have the women who experienced the resurrected Jesus who was dead and now is alive. Now we have the disciples, and I'll be very brief here. The women must have come to the disciples and said, Ah, we have some news. He's not dead. What? 
he's not dead. Not only that, he, he said to tell my, my brothers to go on to Galilee. Tell who? Tell my brothers. Now, picture these 11 disciples. They're beaten down. They are worn out. They, they, they are scared. They're walking the days and days long trip from Jerusalem back to Galilee. And in their head, they hear this, tell my brothers, tell my brothers, the ones who deserted me, my brothers, the ones who denied me, my brothers, the ones who disowned me, my brothers, the ones who fled from me, my brothers, the ones who assumed that my movement was over, my brothers. Tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. Jesus is vague, a mountain in Galilee. There's lots of mountains. They just assume Jesus is going to show up. So he does, right? They go to this mountain, and just like the women, when they meet him, they fall down, and they worship him. Jesus was really, really dead, and now he's really, really not. The women are interacting with him. Now his disciples are interacting with him, and they both fall on their feet. Something has shifted now. He's not just their rabbi who they trust. He's their Lord who they worship. They both fall on their faces, and they worship the resurrected Messiah. Jesus was really, really dead. Jesus was really, really resurrected from the dead. And and, and if it were up to me, I would have Matthew just end the, the sermon here, end his gospel here. But he includes some details that I want us to look at before we close our time this morning. He he includes three details that are a little disheartening to us on Easter Sunday. In verse 8, the angel tells the women, do not be afraid. He's risen. And then we find that the women leave. They're joyful, yes, but they're also what? Afraid. And then we have this sort of middle passage where the soldiers go on to the religious leaders and we learn that even though Jesus has defeated death and resurrected from the dead, there will still be opposition. It's not that the religious leaders heard testimony that Jesus actually rose from the dead and said, oh, we were wrong. We were totally wrong about that guy. Their opposition to Jesus and now his disciples continues. The women, they remain fearful. Opposition remains a part of this story. And then this almost throwaway comment, almost at the end of this gospel with his disciples, Matthew says that his disciples, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, why is Matthew closing his gospel with this? This is not good. If, this is, if, if I was writing this story, I would not include these details. Like, this is 28 chapters. It's taken us a year to get through this sucker. Like, you leave these things out. He was dead, he's alive. They lived happily ever after. You don't be including stuff about, no, they were still fearful after encountering the resurrected Jesus. No, there was still opposition after Jesus defeated sin, death, and evil. No, they encountered Jesus on a mountain, and they still had doubts. What? Like, if you were watching a movie, you would walk away and be like, oh, they're totally setting us up for a sequel. Why do they leave these things unresolved? Why doesn't he just wrap it up? 
There is this tension that Matthew introduces here that Jesus is resurrected. Yes, he was really dead. He is really resurrected. And life goes on. You and I, I think, understand this. Jesus has risen. Many of us would say, yes, he has risen. And how am I going to afford next month's rent? Jesus is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. And why won't God stop the violence in our city? Jesus is risen. Yes, I believe that. I I believe that. But but will, will my life always be this lonely? You see... Matthew, I think he, he allows this tension to stay even at the resurrection. Jesus was really dead. He's really resurrected. And there's fear and there's opposition and there's doubt. Why couldn't he have left those details out? And before it gets better, let me make it a little bit worse for us this morning. In verse 18, all authority, Jesus says, his last words to his disciples, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what many of us know as the great commission. This is Jesus before he ascends to heaven, commissioning, sending his disciples to carry out the work of the kingdom of God. And for some of us, this language is so familiar that we lose its impact. So let me try to unpack it for you here for just a minute. Jesus says, go and make disciples of who? Of all nations. Here are these 11 young Jewish men being told, this is for everybody. Philip, Philip, you're going to go talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. A man from Africa, a country, a place you cannot even imagine in your mind. Philip, you're going to talk to him. A eunuch, a one who, who because of his physical state was unclean, unable to go and worship in the temple. Philip, you're going to go spend time with him. Peter, pious Peter, you're going to get invited over for dinner with some Gentiles. And they're going to spread a feast before you that is going to offend you to the core. And you're going to eat, Peter. You're going to like it. You're going to learn to call them friends. I'm calling you, I'm sending you to make disciples of all nations. This little cultural comfort zone that you like so much, those days are over. I'm sending you out to make disciples. I'm going to baptize you. In the, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, for many of us, baptism is this very benign thing. We, we, we maybe have seen people be baptized or baptized ourselves, and we think it's this lovely thing that happens. Someone confesses Christ, and then they're, they're placed under the waters, and then they come up, and we might, isn't that great? What is baptism? Baptism is dying, isn't it? The symbolism was that we go under the waters. We are buried just as Jesus was in the tomb. Our old lives are gone. And then we are resurrected into new life. What does that mean? It means two things, at least, to my mind. First, that death no longer has any power over us. This is what baptism is. 
Baptism is symbolic of the fact that because Jesus died and resurrected, so we too will be resurrected with him. So death no longer has any claim over our lives. Because death has no claim over our lives, we swear allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me see if I can make this a little bit more clear. Because death has no place in our life, because there is no fear in our lives, we have no one to fear but the God who loves us. And so this means that as Christians, we are people who swear our allegiance to Christ and to Christ alone. We're not divided in our loyalties. Do you see how this sort of thing might be threatening to say, Rome? Rome, who needs everybody to follow exactly what they say, or we're going to kill you. And it's the we're going to kill you part that gets people to obey and do what they say to do. Now, what happens if you have a group of people that says, you can kill us? We have no longer any fear of death. We swear allegiance to Jesus alone. We will obey Jesus alone. We will follow Jesus alone. You see how this might be a threat? You see how baptism isn't just this nice, oh, wasn't that great? It is making this public demonstration, this claim that I belong only to Christ. Christ alone has any say over my life. And I will follow him first, always. And you can hang death over my head, but death doesn't hang over my head anymore. You see? This is what I mean when I say I think it gets a little bit worse here. Here you have these fearful, doubting, will-confront opposition disciples. And now Jesus says, now let me tell you what I'm asking you to do. Go into all the nations. Baptize people so that they claim allegiance to Christ alone. No longer fear death. And, And let's just make it simple here. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Everything. Everything. Everything, everything I've commanded you. How would you summarize everything? What is everything that Jesus has commanded? Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. And what is that law? It's to love God with our hearts, our soul, our minds, our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we might say, some of us, well, this means that we teach some Sunday school lessons to our children or to each other, or we go and we hear some good teaching at a church, right? We're learning what Jesus had to say. That's too small. If Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law, and the law itself is love, loving God and loving neighbor, that this is what is traced to the root of everything we say and everything we do. And what does it mean to teach the world to obey everything Jesus has commanded? It is to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to obey everything Jesus has commanded. That means that everything we do, everything that we say, the way that we are together, everything is traced to love. We've given our lives over to loving God, to loving our neighbor. We said last week that this is what Jesus did on the cross, didn't he? That in the garden, he said, my father, I'll take this from me. 
take this cup from me, this cup of suffering, take the cross from me, but, 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 not, not my will, not what I want, but what you want. In Jesus, we have the fulfillment of the law because Jesus loved his father to death. And on the cross, Jesus laid down his life, not just for his friends, but for his enemies, for his neighbors, for us. When Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go to the nations, to baptize people, to teach, you understand that this is something that is absolutely impossible for them to do, right? Can we do this? Because this is what we're being called to do as well, church. Can we do this? Can you do this? Doubting, fearful people, people with baggage, with history, with confusion, that is who is being commissioned to change the world. (laughs) How do you like that? That's not helpful. Okay, watch, watch what happens here. The commission then is not... Disciples, go recruit some more Christians to be just like you. Baptize them into your safe church world and teach them the rules of Christianity. Yes? This isn't what Jesus has in mind, is it? I think it might be something more like this. Disciples, leave behind comfort. Leave behind stability. Leave behind security and predictability. To proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus to everyone. Baptize them into the death and the resurrection of Jesus so they no longer fear death and swear allegiance to God and God alone. Show the world the kingdom of heaven where love for God and love for neighbor is the motivation behind every one of our words and every one of our actions. Oh, it sounds good, but can we do it? I can't. Not only does fear and opposition and doubt remain after the resurrection, not only does Matthew leave these details in his story, now Jesus commissions our fearful, doubting selves to join his impossible mission of redemption. It's too much. There's the story in Matthew of uh, uh, the disciples crossing the lake. It's a stormy night, and Jesus is not with them. You remember the story. And Jesus decides, I'm just going to walk home the short way across the lake. And the disciples, they see Jesus. They're they're afraid. They think he might be a ghost or something. And and then Jesus identifies himself. And Peter, just being Peter, says, well, if it's really you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And Jesus says, all right, come on. Peter steps out onto the water, and lo and behold, he walks on the water, right? I mean, give the man some credit. When was the last time any of us, any of us, give the man some credit? And then what happens? Matthew says that he he started to see the wind. In other words, the storm became bigger than Jesus, right? And what happened then? He starts to sink. You remember what he says? He says, Lord, save me. Some of our most beautiful theology, isn't it? The storm is getting bigger than you, Jesus. Lord, save me. 
And, and I think that, that many of us, I certainly feel like Peter at this point in the Great Commission. Doubts, fears, opposition, that's a storm. And now I hear Jesus commissioning us to a life so beyond ourselves that it is frankly impossible. And I will start to sink. It's too much. It's too big. I know myself way too well. And I have a good idea. I have a good idea about you all too. It's too much for us. Lord, save us. We feel like Peter. Jesus, Jesus was really dead. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus was really raised from the dead. Yes, yes. But the storm still rages. This is what Matthew is showing us. The storm still rages. There is still opposition. There is still doubt. There is still fear that creeps up on us. I think this is where many of us are this morning on Resurrection Sunday. We, we believe that Jesus was crucified, don't we? We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, many of us. You know what we don't believe? We don't believe that we are ready. We don't believe that we are able to join God in this radical mission to announce and demonstrate the kingdom of heaven to our world. Jesus was crucified. Yep, 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 yep. Amen. Yep. Jesus rose from the grave. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Jesus commissioned your sorry self. Nope, 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 nope. I don't believe that. Not if you actually looked at my life, how I live. Nope, 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 nope. This mission is too much for us. I'm too young for this. I'm too old for this. I'm too married for this kind of life. I'm too single for this sort of life. I don't know enough yet. I've got way too much baggage in my life right now. I have doubts. I have fears. I don't measure up to people's expectations. My kids take way too much of my time. My life is too boring. It's too normal. I'm not in ministry. My history is way too shameful. My future is too unknown. The storm is too big. The doubts are too much. The fear is too much. The opposition is too much. Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, I can agree with that. Jesus defeated death, sin, and evil. Okay, okay, okay. Jesus commissioned me to live this kind of life. Mm, mm, mm. No. Jesus is commissioning us exactly where we are right now. Mm. That's a bridge too far. But until you and I acknowledge these realities, the resurrection is going to have no power in our lives. Until we acknowledge our fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our, our pasts, our unknown, until we acknowledge these things, the resurrection will remain theoretical for us. We'll have no power in how we actually live. And this, I think, is why Matthew does not edit out the fear, the opposition, and the doubts. Because Christ's commission is so powerful because it doesn't overlook the facts of our lives. It acknowledges them. It takes them in. It says this is true then, it's true now. And Jesus still defeated death. Jesus does not, has never asked us to be somebody that we're not. 
to be better than we are. He takes the women and the disciples exactly where they are and sends them exactly where they are. He doesn't say, now go take a Sunday school class for a little bit. He doesn't say, go listen to some good preaching, go listen to some good worship, go repent of all your sins, get all your stuff together, and then I'll go now exactly where you are, exactly who you are. How is this possible? This is the crux for us right now. If the resurrection is going to have any power in our lives, it's because we're going to understand how it's possible to live this kind of radically commissioned lives and still admit who we actually are. You see what I'm saying? This is the crux right here. I love, I love how Jesus structures this commission. And I think this is where we find our hope today. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I don't think you heard that. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is how he starts his commission. Now, there was a time throughout the gospel that people would say, are you the Messiah? Or the demons would come out and say, you are the Lord. And Jesus would hush them up. Not now. My identity is going to remain secret, but not now. In front of his disciple, Jesus reveals his glory. I have all authority, not just over you, not just over this little place that I'm standing, not just over this ethnic group of people, not just over this location, over everything. You remember the enemy came to Jesus in the wilderness and he tempted him. He said, you follow me, I'll give you all of this land you can see in front of you. It was already Jesus's. And now Jesus makes it clear, that's what you wanted to give me? Are you kidding? I own it all. The heavens and the earth. I have authority over all of this. And because of that, I commission you. Because I was dead, because I defeated sin, death, and evil at the resurrection, all authority, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So because of that, I'm going to commission you. Yeah, 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 but Jesus, do you remember who you're commissioning? You remember our doubts, our fears, our anxieties? Do you remember? I'm glad you have that authority to do this. That's cool. You did defeat sin, death, and evil and all, but... How does Jesus close? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what Ramili was talking about earlier. Surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I hope this reminds you of something. The very first title given to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, Emmanuel. Matthew's just a good storyteller. The very first title, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, a virgin shall be with child. She will give birth to one known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And now, after the death on the cross and the resurrection, Jesus can stand with his disciples and say, all authority has been given to me, and I am Emmanuel still. I will never leave you. I will never forget about you. I will never tire of you. You will never wear me out. I am with you. I send you because all authority has been given you. I don't send you by yourselves. 
I know how messed up you are. I know how fearful you are. I know how many doubts you have. I know how many times you're going to screw this sucker up. I know how many times you're going to sully my name. But I'll be with you. I will be with you. I'm Emmanuel. Worship team, go ahead and come back on up. We're going to wrap up here in just a minute. I am with you always. You will face, Jesus might say, no conflict in your life that is too much for me. You will face no struggle with temptation that I cannot handle. You will endure no relationship that is too complicated for me. You will suffer no injustice that is too powerful for me. I am with you always. Jesus was really dead. And we dare not forget that. We cling like the early church to the fact that Jesus is Messiah, is Lord, because he was really dead and defeated death. We stake all of our hope, all of our future on the fact that Jesus was really dead, but but he's not anymore. He's not anymore. And because Jesus is no longer dead, because the grave, uh, Luke tells us in, in, in Acts, the grave could literally not hold him. Couldn't hold him. Sin, death, and evil has been defeated. And if this is going to move from like, yeah, I believe that, and that's good, and I feel good on Easter, to my life My life is going to look different because I am being sent on something that is so far beyond myself. If we're going to make that move, if we're going to make that move from here to I'm ready, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Right now, right now, right now, I'll go. Exactly where I am, exactly who I am with all of my stuff, I'll go right now, right now. It's going to be because we don't just believe that Jesus did something a long time ago but that Jesus is still doing stuff right now. Right now in our lives, right now. Right now in our church, right now. Right now. If we're going to move from being like just, we're we're good thinking Christians to Christians who are like, I'm in, I'm in. You're going to find out my junk. You're going to find out I'm going to let you down. I'm messed up. I'm going to need your forgiveness, but I'm in. It's going to be because Jesus is Emmanuel to us. Here, now, present. What what other hope does a church like ours have? Seriously. With a vision like our church has, what, what hope do we have? You understand how bad we will mess up? You understand how much we will fail? You understand how tired we will get trying to do this by ourselves? You understand. If the living Jesus is not present in our midst now, go home today and just be done. Because it is so far beyond you and me that there is no hope. But if Jesus was really dead and Jesus really resurrected and Jesus is really here now, that's a whole different thing, isn't it, church? And there's hope for us today, isn't there, church? There's hope for you today church and there's hope for us year number two in our church there's even more hope for us isn't there 
as we look forward to what crazy thing is God going to call us to do? What thing is God going to call us to do that we would say, oh, no, no, no. I'm with you. I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I send you. Okay, okay, okay. Is this good news? Is this good news? My prayer as I was preparing this sermon is that somehow the empty cross would move from our heads to our hearts a little bit more today. You see? That we would somehow experience and know in our bones the fact that Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. And because of that, Christ is present with us. So that he can, he can offer us this commission that is so big, is so scary, is so far beyond ourselves. And we can still with confidence say, yes, I'm in. I see how hard it is. I see how beyond me it is. I see that I actually give over my life to this. And I'm in. You with me? This is what I, this is what I want us to do to, uh, to, to close. Um, we have a couple songs that we're going to sing. Songs of triumph of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Uh, and Remelia mentioned this, I think. Um, Last year, some of us were at our sending church in Logan Square, and, and we were invited forward, and we were commissioned. There was maybe 30 of us or so, and we were commissioned for this new work in Bronzeville. Um, and a year later, here we are, and that's good news. I, I want to recommission us today, because some of you didn't get to be there a year ago. I want to commission all of us again today. I I don't know how how it works for you, but for me, what I find is that I I need these moments where I'm reminded the power of Jesus in our lives, in in our midst. I need these moments where I get to once again say, yeah, no, I, I really am in. I come fully acknowledging my fears, my insecurities, my doubts, and I'm still in. Because Jesus is here now. So what I want us to do, and again, this will be a little bit of a stretch for some of us. I want to invite us, everybody, to come forward today. I know some of you are used to altar calls where there's like one or two people. This is an altar call for, for us, for all of us today. Now, you, you know me. I'm not like a manipulative person. So if you don't want to come, don't come. That's all right. But we're going to all stand in a few minutes and we're going to be singing these songs together. And what I would love is if you would come forward and just fill in this open area here and we would just sing together. We would just proclaim together God's victory over sin, death, and evil and the fact that we can say yes to his commission because he is here with us now. Does that make sense to you? So I want to just invite everybody, everybody to come forward to sing these songs and then the way I'm going to give us a benediction and I'm going to pray over our church that we will once again this Easter Sunday be sent. Some of you are our th- teachers right now. Our teachers, you're thinking about Monday right now, aren't you? Because you've been on spring break or you're just in denial. Monday's coming, just so you know. Some of our teachers are thinking, that's where you've been called. That's where the storm rages for you. You need Jesus to be present with you right there. More powerful than the storm. Some of us are going back to relationships, to marriages that are just, ah! The storm seems so, so huge. And you need Jesus once again to be so present to you. 
You hear what I'm saying? Some of you are going back this week to try to find a job, and you've been trying to find a job for how long? And it's not happening. Or you really, really don't know how you're going to pay the rent next month. You really don't know. The storm is big. The doubts are big. The fears are big. And I want to commission us this morning in such a way that Jesus is bigger. Yes? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to our Lord and Savior. And that same Lord and Savior says, I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. You're never going to get, I'm never going to get tired of you. Is that good news? That's good news. There's a couple of you maybe today who when you come down, you're coming down as the first time of you laying your life down before Jesus. The first time of you saying, okay, I'm in too. I still have doubts, still have fears. But I want my old life to die and new life to be resurrected in me. I want to invite you to come down too. So if everybody comes, that's great. If a handful of you want to stay back, that's okay too. But let me pray for us. Let me have you stand. Kelly's going to lead us. And then just come on down. Come on down. Let's sing together. Let's proclaim together what God has done. And then I'll send us out commissioning for the work God continues us to do. Let's pray. And Jesus... We thank you that because of, because of the empty grave, we don't have to be afraid to proclaim that the Son of God really died. My prayer for us today, Holy Spirit of God, is that your death and your subsequent resurrection your elevation to the right hand of the Father from where you rule and reign would move into our midst today in a new way so that the Christ who's been given all authority is the same Christ who is Emmanuel to us, who is near, who is present, who is forgiving, who is convicting, who is encouraging, who is sustaining, who is holy, who is perfect, who is majestic, who is worthy. So stir our hearts, as we sang earlier, stir our hearts once again to see in a new way resurrected Savior is here with us right now. We've been commissioned to a new life proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven, but we do so with our Savior. So as we come, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak words of encouragement and truth to our lives. As we sing, as we kneel, as we proclaim through these songs what is true, I pray that your spirit would pull us to you once again. Remove any obstacle, any barrier in our lives this morning that would keep us from being embraced by our Savior. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You're beautiful, you're powerful, you're holy, you're perfect, your redemptive name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand and come forward as you're ready to come?
He is risen. One more time. He is risen. God is good. I have no idea where he will need to be able to be able for you tomorrow. I don't know. And you don't know either. I'm going to commission us in a minute. My commission is that we will wake up tomorrow and be convinced to our bones that he is able. Whatever it is that you are facing or will face, that you will face it and your instinct will be he is able. Join us for lunch. Those of you who can, uh, get directions from Michelle. I hope you'll be back next week as we start a new sermon series. Stick around. Help us clean up. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, 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 this is to you. This is to you. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, everything, everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so Jesus, we confess that you alone are our hope. confess that you alone are our life. We confess that you alone are our salvation. We once again this morning, we give ourselves over to you. Take us exactly how we are. Allow the gospel of Jesus to break through any pretension, any fronting, any pretending. Take us exactly how we are right now and send us exactly how we are. We know we can count on you. We know you will transform us even as we are sent. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. So church, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, once again, receive God's words of grace and life to you. He is able, and we will be obedient. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. Worship team, take us out.